canoe Lincoln with all of its class. I like a martini and bird on the glass. I'm gonna start living. You wait and see. Nothing but the best is good enough for me. I like hey everybody. lobster. That's right, it's another episode of Frankly Drinking, the only show where you get three Sinatra tracks and two pours of American whiskey. I am your host, Lawrence. And I'm Luke, and you're listening to Frankly Drinking. That's right. It's good to be back. (laughs) Always, always good to be back, for sure. Yep. And we have got a special show for you today because this is our season one finale. If if, if you think about TV seasons, mm-hmm. this is our, this is it. This is the finale of season one. The cliffhangers, <laughs> the, the, the high drama, right. everything that goes along with, with the end of the season. Yeah. And, and no one's going to wind up in carbonite. So... <laughs> Um, or 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 jump off a cliff or uh get shot like JR did. No, no, none of that. Uh we're we're not going to leave people like that, but we will with any luck uh leave them wanting more. That's right. So. And this is a very special episode because uh we also have uh this is our all jack episode. Wall to wall. It's a rare offering of just all jack and <laughs> The reason is, is because we have a special guest a little bit later on. That's right. Yeah. We, uh, we certainly do. So being that it's uh, an all Jack episode, well, f- well, first of all, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't uh, forget to ask you if there's any, any Frank news. There's, you know, we, we kind of discussed the bourbon industry in the last show, but what's going on with, uh, with Frank uh, these days? What's he up to uh, well, these days? Larry, um, Frank continues to make news. Um, just uh, just a few weeks ago, um, we we found out that um, there's a there's a collector named uh, Jim Mahoney. Okay, and uh, old Jim Mahoney. Jim Jim bought a massive collection of Sinatra recordings and memorabilia a few years ago, and this this collection was appraised. At something like half a million bucks, and he was he was able to get it. He was able to get it for twelve grand. So oh, wow. I, I think we missed out. First of all, I mean, we missed out right there. Um, was somebody not paying attention, or I? Yeah, I think okay. I I think so. Um, and then I mean, how many super super hardcore collectors are there like that? Um, I think I think someone definitely would have bid more if they'd known it was going to be uh, that low, but. Um, Mahoney started going through his collection a little bit uh, with the COVID pandemic and him spending a lot more time at home. And he found um, what looks to be some new recordings of Frank Sinatra uh, from the 1940s. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. There are a couple, a couple records that had what looks like new cuts on them. And the LA times had this story, um, there's a the Sinatra experts disagree on whether these are are real or not. Um, but to me, uh, the song that I heard, which was on SoundCloud, 
uh, via the LA Times. Oh wow, they've released some, yeah. Yeah, it it sounded it it sounded to me like Frank. It sounded legit. Um, so these are really old. Yeah, okay. it's well, it's very old. There's a lot of tape noise and uh, you know hiss and all of that. But um, that SoundCloud thing has now been taken down. Uh, okay, it was taken down maybe two weeks after um, the story came out. So if if they're completely fake, illegitimate, why would anybody bother taking it down? So I guess we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it could be it remains could be to a be rare, seen. Uh, new. Uh, new recording that uh, no one's ever heard before. So, well, I I think that's apt because our episode tonight is also all about Frank's rare rare cuts. <laughs> Lots of rare things that you might not have heard before and yes. uh going mm-hmm. deep in the vaults. We had to go deep deep into into the CD vaults. Very deep. Don't exist digitally. So, um but that with that said, I think that uh I had one good leadoff question for you yeah. about our all Jack show uh-huh. and rare cuts. When was the first time you experienced Jack Daniels? Oh, um, do you have a memory or a story? I I do, I do. I was um, the time I remember, Larry. Um, the first time that I recall it, I was I was at the University of Georgia. And it was the night of the Demosthenian Society all-night meeting. Uh, this is like a, a, a speaking society that people would join and you would have sort of um, impromptu debates uh, about all kinds of stuff, whatever people wanted to talk about. And it was kind of a free-for-all and it was, uh, it was great fun. <laughs> um, and the night of the all-night meeting in the... In the spring of my senior year, I went to, um, I went, I went to a bottle shop. Um, I had, I had turned twenty one. I went to a bottle shop and I bought um, one of those little hundred ml bottles of green Jackie D. Yeah, the old eighty proof, old green, the more rare, the more rare variety of <laughs> of regular issue um, Jack from back in the day. So um, I took that with me and. Uh, enjoyed a couple uh, nips off it uh, during the meeting. Yeah. See, I'm the same way. I, I don't remember the exact moment like you do, but yeah. in college, you know, it was, it was probably a football game or going somewhere and having a mini Jack to pour in a, in a Coke. Yeah. That little Jack and Coke. So for the first pour of this evening, yeah, I have selected a glass mini from around 1984. It's before 1987 because the proof is 90 proof. And they changed the proof on Jack after 1987. So in front of you there is a small, tiny, mini oh. bottle of Jack Daniels from the 80s. Wow. So we're kicking it off with okay. some rare stuff. I, I actually I haven't cracked that yet. So you have the honor of cracking it. Okay. Pouring it out. I'm going to come in there and get get a pour oh, okay. from it. Okay. Wow. And this is, by the way, this has got some. Um, this has got German writing on yeah. here, so it was. It's it was German or Austrian for the German market. It's it went to uh, it went to the German market uh, at some point, you know, in the in the mid '80s, and then came back to the states somehow. <laughs> it, made, it made a re- round trip. It made a round and trip. The, uh, 
The tax strip is still sealed has, on here. It has a tax strip on it, which is amazing for a mini yeah, to have a tax it, strip. This is a beauty. I can't yeah. believe it. Okay. Yeah. So, so we're just going to rip into this and, so and pour it up. We're going to pour it up. It, we could be poisoning ourselves. We could be dead no. within two minutes. No. Uh, no. Alcohol no. shouldn't go bad unless you leave it in the sun, folks. No, uh, not with that. With that tax strip on here, I, I'm sure we're going to be safe. Oh, get into that thing. All right. I'm, I'm ripping it open. Okay. I'm not. I, it's tempting to pour this all in my glass. I'm yeah. not going to do that. Well, let, let, let's run commentary while I come out there. We're still okay. distancing while we record this. All right. I'm going to put the cap back on here. Put it over for uh, Larry to come in and pick it up. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Well, no, thank you. This is this is really amazing. This is uh, kind of it's like uh, Doc Brown and the DeLorean type stuff. We're really uh, taking a taking a little trip, uh, a little time travel here with uh, some some mid eighties Jackie D. It, it's a there's a little little less color in this, and there's a little remnants of something in the bottom of it. But uh, how's it smell? Oh boy, it it smells like ninety proof Jack Daniels. <laughs> It's it's it smells like ninety proof Jack Daniels, huh? It smells, yeah. I don't. Oh boy, now I'm now I'm a little scared. I'm a little worried. Hmm. I, I'm not. Okay. I'm, well, if it doesn't taste well, we're not going to drink it. Hmm. I just you know, um, I think this this kind of cues up our first track perfectly though, because uh, we were we were fools in college for drinking many Jacks. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we should have been drinking straight pours. I should say mixing mini jacks. We should be at least pouring straight pours back then. But especially, well, I was I was drinking mine right out of the bottle. Well, so out of the bottle, this um, this doesn't taste like any Jack Daniels at all. Or what am I? Wow, maybe it's just. Tastes good. It doesn't taste like Jack Daniels. Well, maybe it's maybe just, the Germans swapped out the booze and sent it back with uh, something else. It in here. smells like Jack. I mean, it's been in there for thirty-five years. The bottle. Yeah. Hmm. Weird. It's actually good and sweet. On the finish, but man, that's there's nothing in the middle of that for me. It goes from nose to finish because <laughs> it's just it's just so old. It's not like it's not like a Jack Daniels that's kind of older and like kind of caramel or like you know, uh, it tastes like it's been uh, like the sugars have broken down. Mm-hmm. It tastes very thin, and then it's got this kind of interesting finish on it it's it's only slightly lighter in color than a regular uh jack color mm-hmm. because i have a, a glass coming up here in our next segment mm. the color is the same so i almost the same so yeah it just it's it, either, either it's lost flavor in the bottle which would make sense or it's um it's it's not you would never say that's jack daniels i don't think so well, I'm going to say it's Jack Daniels because I just poured it out of the bottle. Yeah, well, it is. <laughs> I mean, it's just so I'm pretty sure. 
something I'm sure something's mm-hmm. changed about it mm-hmm. anyway um unlike yes. us yeah we haven't changed we haven't changed we still have years. we still have foolish hearts <laughs> we do the first song for today uh we're going to be listening to my foolish heart um it was recorded in 1988 with a chart by billy may and this was Sinatra's last oh, this is, song that was recorded in the this reprise This was recorded in 88? Wow. Yes. Yeah, this was recorded in The same year this Jack was probably put um, in the bottle. Yeah. About the same time. About the same time, yep. Um, and this, this track went unreleased for a number of years. Uh, it was first put out on the reprise studio, complete studio recordings. That was done in 1995. Uh, and it's an amazing set, 20 CDs, <laughs> over 400 songs, wow. blah, blah, blah. It is really great, and it is not available um, on, on streaming, um, uh, that set. However, this song was put out on the collection Sinatra with Love in 2014. So you can listen to it on iTunes. You can pick up that CD. Um Crimea River was also slated to be recorded at the same time, perhaps for a new album. Um, Crimea River hasn't been released, and it doesn't appear that Frank ever uh, put down a vocal on oh, on that. From so, the same um, session. My yeah, from the same session. My Foolish Heart was written by Victor Young, uh, with lyrics by Ned Washington, and it was introduced in 1949 in the film of the same name. Uh, it was nominated, Larry, for Best Original Song for the Oscar, and it lost out to Frank Lesser's Baby It's Cold Outside. Um, so, yes, and um, Frank recorded this um, also during his Columbia years um, in 1950, but all through the Capitol years, all through the reprise years, he never recorded it again um, until 1988. Um, there's a lot of different versions of this song, uh, but there's a great version by uh, Astrid Gilberto from her Beach Samba album in 1967. So I'd recommend that. But uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's let's take a listen to My Foolish Heart. The night is like a lovely tune. Beware, my foolish heart. How white. The ever-distant moon Take care, my foolish heart There's a line between love and fascination That's so hard to see on an evening such as this For they both give the very same sensation When you're lost in the magic of a kiss Her lips are much too close to mine Beware, my foolish heart but should our eager lips combine, then let that fire start. For this time it isn't fascination, or a dream that will fade and fall apart. It's love, this time it's love, my foolish heart. Man, that that really moves. It's, it's really ah. moving and trotting along there. Oh, yeah, it's a great... Great chart by uh, Billy May. The band is uh, is swinging hard, and you. Ca- I just wish uh, I wish Frank had gone back and uh, maybe done another album uh, based on based on that. I mean, 
That would have been incredible. You can find it on our, our, our playlist on Spotify and on Apple. Yes, you can. <laughs> be be sure you do and listen. You can go back, listen to the whole song um, and, and just enjoy the artistry of, um, of Billy May and, and Frank and, and that band, which was uh, which was absolutely first rate. Um, and of course, Sinatra would go on to do the duets albums and stuff. Um, those two duets albums with with Capitol um, a couple years after this. But um, that was uh, that was it. That was the end of the reprise era. That's incredible. Why, why do you think, I mean, obviously they can part and piece, you know, different tracks out for different compilations and, and reasons uh, the labels can or the, the family can, but what, what is it about some of these lost rare tracks that they, they wouldn't just like repackage in a, in a single disc or a single event to kind of, uh, you know, make some, some Christmas time cash, like a cash grab or, you know, at least just, you know, package it together as one little, one little set. Yeah. Well, I think, um, one of the things that's happened, um, with Sinatra's catalog, so much of it has been released, um, in one way or another, this reprise, uh, collection has, um, dozens of songs on there that are either, um, were either singles, um, B-sides, and then completely unreleased songs. There's, there's quite a few, at, at, least, at least a dozen or two of unreleased songs up until that time of 1995, which it was put out for Sinatra's 80th birthday um, back then. And then I think in the years since, they've, they've put things like um, My Foolish Heart um, on this 2014 collection. Uh, there's been another collection since then that featured the Surrey with the fringe on top, which was another what is um, that late the Surrey with the fringe song. on top. Yeah, I, I don't remember the date the Surrey with the fringe on top was done, but it's it's fantastic. It's it's okay. really fun, um, and they stitched that together um, for a more recent thing. But it's it's like what they do with a lot of bands or acts. They want to give the completist a reason to buy something. So, you know, a completist who loves Frank, they got every other song. They had every other song on on that 2014 collection, Sinatra with Love, but maybe they don't have the suitcase, you know, this this amazing suitcase collection with um with the complete reprise collection. So um they had a reason to buy it. Yeah. Um yeah. So I mean there's some there's some really weird rare stuff in there too. Um yeah. So do you, should we just roll do you want to just roll into the next Frank song Larry? You ready to go into a break here? Yeah, we need to take a break. Okay. Uh okay. after the break we'll have a special guest. Yeah, we uh, got to kind of clear the deck a little bit for yeah. for our special guest. So yeah. let's get into this. We've got um I'm feeling like dancing. Next, I'm feeling like dancing. Uh, too. I, need to, to I need to cut a rug. What's that? I need to cut a rug too. I need. I feel like dancing or something. I oh, get the blood I, moving. I can understand how you yeah. might feel that way, and yeah. I think we can get up during the break. Um, Stretch the legs, you know. Yeah, yeah. So um, our next song is um, uh, from 1977. This was uh, arranged by Joe Beck, and um, I'm just gonna say what it is. It is. 
It is a disco version of Night and Day. Yeah. The uh, seminal uh, song written by Cole Porter. And um, Frank also recorded a, a disco version of All or Nothing at All at the same time. Um, this song by Cole Porter is from the 1932 musical Gay Divorce. And uh, it was recorded by Frank many times, um, twice with Axel Stordahl on Columbia, um, on the Capitol album A Swing and Affair from 1957, and also the reprise album Sinatra and Strings in 1962. Um, but for now, we are going to uh, dial it back, take you to the glory days of Studio 54, 1977. Here's Frank Sinatra with Night and Day. Night and Day, you are the one. Only you need moon under the sun. Whether near to me or far, it's no matter, darling, where. Till you let me spend my life making love to you day and night Night and day, day and night Night and day <laughs> Wow, <laughs> wow I... <laughs> You're, yeah, you're never going to hear a rare cut like that ever again on Frankly Drinking. <laughs> well, you never know. There, well, there is all or nothing other, at all. Yeah, there's we all we can dig that up one day. Which but, I think this is the better of the two for, by by far. Yeah, well, I think it just represents, you know, one of those moments when um, Frank was always trying to um, hang in there with the zeitgeist and um, stay with the times and be relevant. And one cannot... Um, understand this recording without thinking back to that time and the kind of music that was popular, what people like to dance to and go out to the disco clubs uh, and listen to. And so, yeah, Frank just uh, just <laughs> jumped right in and um, tried it out. You got to hand it to him. He was uh, he was seeing what the kids were up to. I don't know. Let's go to Midtown. Check out the clubs. What are these kids into? All right. <laughs> book it book the studio let's do this <laughs> yes yes and by the way it's the way that was recorded joe beck um did that orchestration they did all the recording of uh of the background track and then frank came in and did the vocal um separately so um not really a surprise but yeah um 
fascinating. He probably, fascinating how many stuff. takes do you think we're done there? Just uh, one? I <laughs> I think it could have been a it could have been a one and done. I, I don't know. Call me crazy. I don't know. <laughs> but Frank sounded great. You know, yeah. he was yeah. on the cusp of uh, on the cusp of 62. He'd turned 62 that year and yeah. Um yeah, he sounded Absolutely. Uh, sounded in good voice and hanging in there. Hanging in the, there. Uh, the disco sounds. That's right. Well, continuing our uh all jack episode, um I think it's time to uh try to follow that up. Uh we have a very special uh of guest with us. Um and we've been wanting to do this for a long time. This is our first live guest on Frankly Drinking. Yeah. And uh, let me just say that um, Nelson Eddy is our guest. He's been the brand historian of Jack Daniels for the past 30 years uh, plus. And um, he's a writer and public relations professional. Uh, he joins us tonight from Murfreesboro, Tennessee, which is just down the road from Lynchburg the global capital of uh, Tennessee whiskey. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Murfreesboro is kind of the gateway to Lynchburg. It's the way we <laughs> like to look at it. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we thank you so much for uh, coming on and talking Jack Daniels with us. I know that's, I know it's really hard for you to uh, break your busy schedule and, uh, and, and pour up a drink with us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't imagine uh, any worse punishment than to, have to sip on Jack Daniels and tell stories about it, but I'm up to the challenge and hopefully uh, those listening are up to that challenge and will join us. Excellent. <laughs> so obviously uh, this is a whiskey and, uh, and Sinatra podcast. Um, there's a great history between Frank Sinatra and Jack Daniels. You know, how did, how did everything really begin with, with Frank and Jack? You know, I thought I knew and have been telling the stories for telling the story for years uh, that someone recently uncovered a bit of trivia I didn't know, and, and so has totally changed that story. Uh, you know, <laughs> wow. Frank uh, found out about Jack Daniels the way many of us do, and that's either from a friend or family member, uh, somebody mm-hmm. that really admires Jack Daniels, and and they introduce uh, introduce you to it. In Frank's case, we always thought it was Jackie Gleason. The story's mm-hmm. told uh, in a book by Bill Zemi. Uh, it's called The Way You Wear Your Hat. You guys are probably familiar with that. Yeah. Yeah. Great book. If anybody wants to just uncover a treasure trove of stories about Frank and Jack, there's many of them in that book. But in that book, he tells this story that, you know, Frank's kind of having a problem with a lady friend. He's at a bar with Jackie Gleason. And he says, I'm up for a serious drink tonight. <laughs> and Gleason says, have you ever had Jack Daniels? And that's the story that book tells. That's the story we've told for years. And then our good friend, Charlie Pignon, uh, president of uh, Frank Sinatra Enterprises, um, he said, you know, I, I was listening to a recording and it was uh, it was Sinatra at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas on March 8th. 1982. Well, when he starts with those kind of details, you know, he's probably really got something there. He said (laughs) Sinatra was telling the story this way. And I'm reading from uh, that recording. Sinatra says, I was introduced, and this is from the stage. He's telling the public this. I was introduced to this drink by a great friend. Again, a friend. 
made the introduction, a great man named Mr. Bogart. He introduced me to Jack Daniels one night after dinner at his house. He said to me, what do you want to drink after dinner? And I said, I don't know. He said, all right, how about a little Jack Daniels? And I said, what the hell is Jack Daniels? <laughs> he, said, he said, let me pour you some. And it was a happy marriage from then on. Wow. And, you know, really, this is a much better story. Jack and <laughs> story was always a good one. Yeah. But this is much better and has a real ring of truth about it because it, you guys know um, Sinatra was a member of Humphrey Bogart's Rat Pack, the Rat Pack of the 50s, which mm -hmm. included people like Judy Garland and others. And... Um, so when Sinatra starts his in the 60s, he was always an admirer of Bogart, and that was a mutual feeling. So it's really appropriate that Humphrey Bogart, uh, as we know, Humphrey Bogart was a big fan of Jack Daniels, as was Lauren Bacall. Um, Lauren Bacall is our first female Tennessee squire. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Are you familiar with the squires program? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Loyal Jack Daniels absolutely. fans. Uh, you know, these are, this is way back in the fifties and uh, you know, we weren't thinking correctly back then and there weren't women squires, yeah. um, but David <laughs> Niven got a hold of the distillery and said, look, Lauren McCall drinks as much or more Jack Daniels than Humphrey Bogart does. <laughs> the better make Tennessee squire. Uh, well, so uh, she's a great one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so and so we learned then um, that th we needed to open up this boys' club to as uh, many women who wanted to jump on the wagon, nice. and uh, she was one of them. Nice. Wow, that, that's that's quite a woman to begin with. Um, and and you're right; it's interesting to know how Bogart was influential um, about Jack Daniels because he was so influential to um, Frank in in, in other ways, but. Um, I, I wonder, Nelson, if you could tell us a little bit about um, how the relationship uh, with Jack and Frank continued uh, from there. I know that, you know, Jack was always uh, with Frank where, wherever he was. And um, and Jack Daniels uh, took care of Frank. How, how did uh, how did that happen? You know, it's a lot different than those relationships might develop today. Yeah, it was a different time, a different world. So Sinatra is a fan now of Jack Daniels. Once, you know, there's something about Frank Sinatra. Loyalty underlines this man. He was loyal, perhaps to a fault, to friends. Um, and if you were a friend of Frank's, you're a friend for life. Now, if you did something that kind of crossed that friendship or broke that friendship, uh, might be difficult. But he's very <laughs> loyal, very loyal yeah. to his friends. And mm -hmm. that included um, a whiskey by the name of Jack Daniels. So. You know, flash forward to 1967. And, um, you know, this is the mid 50s. He's probably introduced to Jack Daniels. And interestingly enough, in 1955, sales of Jack Daniels or orders doubled 100% wow. in 1955. Now, <laughs> I don't know if you can attribute all of that to, uh, Frank Sinatra, but he was talking about this whiskey from uh, the stage. And so from 1955 until 1979, we couldn't make enough. 
we were just trying to keep up with demand. Wow. It went up 100% in 55. Mm -hmm. So Sinatra, like everybody else, had a hard time getting this whiskey. So 1967, um, uh, another friend, his name's Angelo Lucchese. Angelo was the first salesperson the distillery ever hired. They hired him in 1953, unbeknownst in preparation, I guess, for the great Frank Sinatra (laughs) David. And as Hap Motlow used to say, he was an Italian. And uh, <laughs> so Angelo, you know, he was, a, he was our first salesman, but I don't think Angelo ever sold anything in his life. What <laughs> Angelo was great at was making friends. Mm. And because of friendship, he introduced people um, all over the world to Jack Daniels. Well, 1967, he gets a call. He picks up the phone, um, and it's a a friend of his. Actually, he's on his way to Mass. He's a very uh, fervent Catholic. He's on his way to Mass, and the guy who's driving him is a friend, an Italian, uh, who's a friend of Jilly, one of uh, Mm. Frank's lieutenants. And he said, hey, Sinatra's at the Cobana, and he's having a hard time getting um, Jack Daniels whiskey. Okay, so um, Angelo doesn't know what to do, but uh, he goes into the office. He talks to the president of the, at the time, Winton Smith, and Winton apparently has connections to get things moved around because there's really, it's in allocation. You just can't get Jack Daniels. People don't order cases, they order bottles. And so Winton Smith <laughs> comes back and says, it's taken care of. Well, it's not even a month later, uh, Angelo's relaxing at home and he gets a call on the phone. He picks it up and he's listening. And, and this voice comes on the phone. And he says, Paisano. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Angelo uh, really stopped when he heard that. He, Angelo, he says, Paisano, uh, you're my kind of man. Uh, I love you forever. And, and Angelo goes, Mr. Sinatra. <laughs> Sinatra goes, how do you know it's Sinatra? And he says, because you sound like you. And Sinatra <laughs> really, really enjoyed the answer. He said, Angelo, we're friends for life. Um, and he gave at the time, you know, this is in the days before cell and a, a celebrity giving out their personal number was quite a big deal. Well, he gives uh, Angelo two of his private phone numbers. And the truth is they are friends for life. 31 years later, um, when Sinatra passes away, Angelo Lucchese will be seated with the family. Wow. I don't know about you, but I don't know that my whiskey salesperson is going to be seated with my family when I pass away. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That was the loyalty. loyalty. Wow. Well, well, on that occasion, uh, we have selected uh, for tonight to have a pour with you, uh, Nelson, the Angelo Lucchese 90th, anniversary bottle. Yep. Uh, and I, I don't know what year this, this came out, but maybe you can tell us about it. This is a, a special edition. Yeah, I believe that came out in 2010. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, right around there. Uh, it was on the occasion of Angelo's 90th birthday. Uh, to my knowledge, other than a member of the Jack Daniels family, uh, that was Angelo's name was the first on a bottle other than a member of the Jack Daniels family. And then the person after his get a name on the bottle would be Frank Sinatra. 
Mm, wow. Uh, so it's kind of appropriate <laughs> that those mm-hmm. two came out. And it's it's 90 proof, uh, which was the proof of the whiskey when Sinatra was drinking it. It was a 90 proof Jack Daniels. And uh, there were only 5,500, there were only 5,500 uh, cases of that whiskey made. And um, money from the proceeds went to help benefit some of Angelo's favorite charities, among which was the uh, Sinatra Celebrity Invitational uh, Golf Tournament that, you know, annually uh, benefits abused children through the Barbara Sinatra Center. Oh, nice. Nice. It's it's there's just a great entwining of those stories of Sinatra and uh, Jack Daniels. Oh, that's great. Well, let's let's raise a glass to the man. Yeah. Cheers. Angelo Paisano. Paisano. <laughs> Paisano. Yeah. Cheers, Nelson. Do, now, Nelson, while you take a sip of that, uh, I was wondering if you um, had a, a favorite uh, Frank song. Do you, do you listen to Frank? Yeah, I listened to Frank. I gave you several songs that I really like, so I'm not sure which one you you uh, picked from my list. Oh, wow. Well, we went right from the top. Um, yeah. I've got you under my skin. Yeah, yeah. And I guess I could say that about this drink here, uh, but I don't think that's what Mr. Sinatra was uh, talking about. <laughs> well, we're going to take a listen to that real quick and um, enjoy this uh, this fine fine 90th pour it's um it's really good it's you know we, we started the show with a uh a, a mini from about 1986 that i had lying around so it it that doesn't compare to this this is uh this has got great great character well here's i've got you under my skin from the one and only Sacrifice anything, come what might For the sake of having you near In spite of a warning voice That comes in the night And repeats how it yells in my ear Don't you know, little fool You never can win Why not use your mentality Step up, wake up to reality I do just the thought of you Makes me stop just before I begin Cause I've got you Under my skin Yes, I've got you Under my skin Oh, it's a great one. Such a good one. Fantastic. It's one of my favorites, but also it's a song that apparently was one of Sinatra's favorites. I mean, he included it in many, many, many concerts as he did Jack Daniels. So I thought it would be nice to reunite that song with a glass of Jack Daniels. Perfect. And uh, the the orchestration on that song, of course, by a different Nelson, uh, Nelson Riddle, uh, Admiral Nelson, as uh, Frank liked to call him. Uh, so perfect. Um, 
I wonder, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of rock bands um, have been connected to Jack Daniels, you know, from, from the Stones to, uh, to Guns N' Roses, other, other great rock acts. Um, and, the, you know, just sort of that maverick um, renegade image of, of Jack Daniels. How does, uh, how does Frank fit into that? Uh, you know, for years we were looking for, you know, what was that tie? Uh, because, you know, music goes back, not just to Frank Sinatra, but to Jack Daniel himself. Uh, Jack, in 1892, he had two bars on the square in Lynchburg. This is before Lynchburg was dry. <laughs> Remain dry. It's still, you, you won't find two bars on the square today. But um, he started a band called the Jack Daniel Silver Cornet Band. This was the great era of the gazebo band, the town band. So for $277.70, he bought all these instruments from Sears and Roebuck, <laughs> had them to deliver the town, and he starts this band. He puts his logo, his name, Jack Daniels, on the, on the uh, bass drum there, and that really starts a tradition. He did that to draw people to the square uh, so they'd stop at the bars, one of his two bars. Um, the either the white rabbit or the the red dog saloon and have some of his his whiskey well it's a tradition that's just continued uh frank sinatra is probably the uh back in the 50s 60s and even today i mean but back then he is the single biggest influence on what we think the explosion of jack daniels was all about mm -hmm. he was big uh in the movies he was big at uh Las Vegas on the stage in recording on radio and you know back then that would have been all the media you know right. all the media and so that really propelled Jack Daniels um well there's a couple of things that I think I mean there's untold it was either a drummer from Van Halen or Guns N' Roses that was talking about they were playing an arena after Sinatra and they looked at his rider they were real curious. His rider was posted somewhere in the in the back spaces of the arena. They're real curious, you know, was it going to be green M&Ms or, you know, what was his rider? Well, all he was really requesting was Jack Daniels ice and some glasses. And that was it. They were going, that was it. And, um, you know, that was so even musicians. Frank is timeless. He's a classic. So musicians, uh, Bruce Springsteen has spoken about having a glass of Jack Daniels with Frank Sinatra as if it were a rite of passage. Mm. So there is some influence. The styles might seem different, yeah. but really, there's a really, I mean, this uh, individuality that Frank Sinatra had, um, this lifestyle. When you bought into Sinatra, it wasn't just the music. I mean, you know, Sinatra of the Capitol uh, years and the way he looked, the way he wore his hat, the things mm -hmm. that he, he really influenced uh, the time period. People bought into that style. The Rat Pack was this ongoing cocktail party that went on <laughs> to all hours of the night. Well, now flash forward to rock style, rock star lifestyle. You know, rolling cocktail parties might not be cocktails. But uh, they're, they're having these ongoing parties. <laughs> yeah. uh, to my knowledge, Sinatra never trashed the hotel room, though. 
Um, and <laughs> probably not. <laughs> uh, it's about individuality. Uh, even yeah. the color black uh, is a part of both scenes, although Frank's favorite color was orange. Um, but yeah, I think there's been a great influence. And from time to time, you'll hear um, different people in rock and roll mention that. I think the fact that it was hard to get, that it was viewed as authentic and real. Mm. And it's not just today. We've battled foe and false for generations. Uh, and really, Sinatra was about things that were real and classic and enduring. And um, so is Jack Daniels. Is, is that why it was kind of a no-brainer to, to team up with the estate and kind of uh, start working on Sinatra, the Sinatra brand for the products? Yeah, you, you know, I don't know uh, who blinked first. I really don't know. <laughs> so, uh, and it's appropriate. We never sponsored Frank Sinatra. Um, he spoke from the stage about Jack Daniels. He called it the nectar of the gods, the best booze in the world. He had many terms for it. He referred to it as gasoline or Dr. <laughs> Daniels. So I guess in that song, Admiral Nelson met Dr. Daniels. But um, So he'd have all these slang terms for it. It was a part uh, of who he was. Uh, different people would refer to him as, you know, Jack Daniels co-pilot or, I mean, there's just, they had running gags. Uh, you know, uh, Sammy Davis, now he, he drank Jack Daniels too, but he did it more in, uh, Mot or, uh, in Motorhead Lemmy style. He drank it with Coke, which okay. drank. Oh, that was bad. Yeah. <laughs> that was bad news, but he put up with it. Uh, mm. one of the many things I think he put up with, with Sammy, but, uh, there was a great, a great love between those two as well. Um, so I don't even know what the question was. I'm just going on with. Oh no, it's just you know. I guess how, how did that come? Oh, how that partnership come about? You know, obviously with with uh, yeah, Sinatra. Yeah, so it was a natural never fit. sponsored Frank Sinatra. There was no official sponsorship. There was just friendship, mm. and for years that's how we've done it. We don't pay for Jack Daniels to be in movies. We haven't paid for. Um, people to drink Jack Daniels uh, that were celebrities. Uh, we just always look for friendship. Well, because of that, because of Angela Lucchese for, you know, 30 some years being at uh, Frank's side and being there with him, Frank referred to Angelo as the kid, which always <laughs> made Angelo chuckle because they were within a few years of each other. <laughs> um, we like to refer to him as a kid, probably because Angelo had been training to be a monk and he was very uh, religious. And so uh, Sinatra would often uh, keep people from cussing around Angelo <laughs> because he didn't want the cuss words to fall on Angelo's ears, apparently. So he referred to him as the kid, as the kid out of respect. So you've got that friendship. All the Sinatras knew about that. He's seated with the family. Um, and so Jack Daniels had also, while we never sponsored Frank, we did sponsor that golf tournament, the Celebrity mm -hmm. Golf Tournament in Palm Springs for years and, uh, you know, to benefit his charities. And so it was just a natural. Uh, as you know, Sinatra Enterprises does not do a lot of sponsorships. They're, they're pretty selective about the sponsorships. Right or, you know, the co-branding that they might do. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it was almost a perfect storm. Um, 
we had just perfected uh, barrels that we call now the Sinatra barrels that produce a deeper whiskey. And we do that by grooving the barrels. Right. And this mm-hmm. grooving of the barrels increases surface area and allows uh, the whiskey to flow in and out uh, and have more surface contact. We also did some charring. All of this uh, produced a deeper, richer whiskey, which seemed perfect to honor Sinatra with because of his mellow, mellow voice and his deep tones. And so it was that kind of perfect marriage that happened. I know a a gentleman um, at Jack Daniels by the name of Matt Blevins. uh, He was he was involved uh, and very I mean, he would give all the credit to Angelo Lucchese and that friendship. But I know that Matt was involved and Mm -hmm. the enterprise was involved and um, it's produced a really, really great whiskey. Uh, it, It also is 90 proof like Angelo is because that was the proof. Uh, when Frank, uh, for so many years, was singing about Jack Daniels, um, it was a ninety-three whiskey. Was the 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 barrel grooving uh, the first? The, the, I'm sorry, was the Sinatra bottle the first barrel grooved uh, barrel to to be used? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, to my knowledge, that was the first time. I mean, you know, um, there had been experimenting mm-hmm. for a number of years um, in a number of different. Uh, things that was one thing that we felt like you know we're not going to do anything artificial right um we're going to use the nat whiskey is very very natural especially american whiskey bourbon and tennessee whiskey they get all their color from the barrel and most of their flavor so uh, since we make our own barrels there's a number of things we can do with the barrel uh to just experiment and yeah. to my knowledge that was the first whiskey that relied heavily uh, on those barrels. Nice. It's great. What's uh what's the plan? I know you've, you've continued to release the regular Sinatra select and there was the Sinatra century for the anniversary of Sinatra's birthday, but is there anything else maybe planned or in, in discussion maybe to continue to honor the legacy? Well, they, uh, it continues to be very successful for Sinatra enterprises and Jack Daniels. And, and I guess that, should be no surprise to either one of us. Right. Uh, and Sinatra's music continues to sell. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, uh, it, it's ongoing. Uh, they're all, we're always in discussions and, and looking at other ways we might honor Frank. Uh, but right now, the uh, plan is to continue. And, yes, you're right, Sinatra Century was in 2015 on the 100th anniversary of Sinatra's birth. It was just 100 barrels, and it was at 100 proof. So, uh, you know, that's one of those bottles that's really hard to get a hold of. At the time, I think we suggested retail at $500, but I don't think I ever saw it that price. It was always north of that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially now. Now it's uh, with the secondary market prices, it's it's astronomical. Uh, yeah. How'd you guys get a hold of another really rare one is the Angelo bottle. How'd uh, you get a hold of that? I have, I've had it for a while. Um, I just, I had it, I think I found it, um, back in probably 2012, um, somewhere around then. Well, yeah. It, well, was, you're my kind of drinker. You, you don't just see, save those bottles on the shelf. Uh, you know, that with good whiskeys for drinking. That's right. We, well, we actually opened it for just today for this show. So this is okay. a fresh crack. 
Yeah. yeah. Was there was there anything was, was there anything special about this one? Did did uh did he actually choose this uh barrel or was was somebody from the family involved? It was now it's it was more than one barrel. It's because it ends up in 5500 5500 cases of it. But but Angelo was involved. He was involved wow. in uh that whiskey and wow. in approving the whiskey. So we're we're drinking something that he that he actually tasted. Yeah, which is interesting because you know he he would have done it with his nose. Angelo Lucchese, um was a teetotaler, uh, and it's not because he he never had a drink. It's because he felt like he drank all the whiskey he needed to drink at a very early age. Um, in fact, it's a it's a really a, a great story in that um, you know about being responsible in your drinking. I guess. Um, Angelo really had a drinking problem. He was a friend of Hap Motlow, who's Jack Daniels' nephew, who was leading the company, doing the marketing, was a great friend of Angelo's. He saw Angelo camped out in the lobby of the Andrew Jackson Hotel in Nashville. He couldn't get a room and invited him up to his suite because Hap Motlow lived in the Andrew Jackson Hotel. And they became (laughs) great friends. They became great friends. Uh, he was never married, so uh, living in a hotel seemed like uh, the way to go. Um, <laughs> uh, he becomes a friend of Angelo's, and at some point, Angelo has to go to him. And I mean, this is way back. Um, this is when there weren't a lot of you know um, guarantees by go- uh, companies that they're going to keep you employed. He has to go mm. to Hap and say, Hap, I've got a problem. And Hap says to him, we kind of knew, we just wanted to know, you know, when you figured that out. <laughs> and Potlow takes him to a hospital, has him dried out, uh, takes care of all that, tells him he's going to take care of the family until um, Angelo's back on his feet. Angelo gets back on his feet, and he is the longest. Uh, to his death, he was working for Jack Daniels, not because he couldn't retire, uh, because for him, uh, it was about friendship. It was about honoring a family who had taken care of him. And um, and he talked about responsible drinking and he sold Jack Daniels. Uh, and so he's quite a hero in a number of regards. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's good. It's a good, good story. Um, you know, with Jack Daniels and with other uh, consumer products today, um, there's a lot of um, expanding of portfolios, um, and certainly Jack has has done this um, in recent years. Uh, flavors, limited edition, special bottlings, and stuff. Um, I just wonder what uh, what are what are your thoughts about the future of of the Jack portfolio, and kind of what what does it look like? You you will see more. Um... Mm-hmm. You will see more from Jack Daniels. They continue to experiment with different things. Um, you know, it's not until I, I told you in 1979, we're on allocation from the mid-50s to 1979. And then finally we catch up. And then in the next decade, in the 80s, you'll see us introduce things like Gentleman Jack. Mm-hmm. That was the first new whiskey in a century. And the reason why there hadn't been a new one is we couldn't keep up. Uh, with the demand for old number seven. We really don't even go international in a big way other than Sinatra 
flying it around the world and introducing his friends, people <laughs> like uh, uh, the Prince of Monaco, Prince Rainier, as introduced to Jack Daniels by Frank Sinatra. Um, but we're not really international until the 1980s. Uh, so today, uh, we have capacity. We've continued to expand. It's all still made in Lynchburg, Tennessee. Every drop of Jack Daniels old number seven is. Um, but there's more experimenting going on uh, because there's a bigger appetite for different kinds of whiskey. So mm-hmm. we've introduced a rye. Uh, we've introduced a honey a liqueur with Jack Daniels, old number seven, uh, Tennessee honey and Tennessee fire. But what I think you're going to see more of is things that a real whiskey aficionado is, is going to appreciate and enjoy. Um, the things that I'm seeing coming along are more um, higher end, more premium sorts of expression uh, of Jack Daniels. Um, so, so that's the kind of thing. And if you're in Tennessee, you're probably familiar with something called a Tennessee Taster Series. Yeah. And that series of whiskeys, um, it's, it's in such low volumes because it's experimental. Um, but there's a few of those experimental whiskeys. I mean, there's a few of those I really hope uh, become uh, longstanding products. For example, they've released a uh, barrel proof Tennessee rye in that series. Oh, wow. Uh, and one of my favorite Jack Daniels whiskeys is uh, Jack Daniels single barrel at barrel proof. It's yeah. whiskey oh, yeah. out of the barrel at the proof it was in the barrel. Well, this is a rye that's done that way. That's a great whiskey. Uh, they finished some whiskey um, in uh, wine barrels. In fact, Wine barrels that used to be Jack Daniels barrels. <laughs> they uh, took the Jack Daniels barrels. You know, we can only use them once. Right. And then, um, then we have to sell them because they're our most costly ingredient. And so, uh, you know, most of our barrels go to scotch manufacturers. And, and that's why we think people like scotch. It's that little bit of Jack Daniels. They're <laughs> really going for it. But um <laughs> So those barrels we gave to a winery, they filled them with red wine and finished the red wine and then returned them to us to finish some Jack Daniels. So there's all Hmm. these kinds of experiments going on. I think that's called the reunion uh, whiskey. Um, And to give you uh, kind of a tease of what's coming up, there's a Tennessee Tasters that's coming out that's finished with Jamaican allspice wood. Oh, wow. And uh, you'll probably see that out in the next few months. Uh, is that the wood or is, is it actually housed uh, rum? Did it hold rum at one point or is it just the wood? No, we're using the Jamaican allspice, the wood itself, wow. to finish this. Okay. We might have to drive up to Tennessee and see what we can find. Yeah. Yeah. Make, call ahead first to make sure, A, it's come in and... B, we still got it. Yeah, those, those <laughs> Tennessee tasters are hard to come by. I mean, there's there's a few places that will ship to you, you know, uh, if you live in the right state. But I have seen, you know, some of the some of those guys going for way more than their their retail price. Um, you know, like somebody had recommended the uh, the rested rye, and I saw a secondary value on it that was astronomical. Are, are there other bottles that are like super rare right now or rarer? Uh, uh, you know, when you have a whiskey that's been around 150 years, 
Um, there are a lot of rare bottles. I mean, one of the rarest bottles, a couple that I've seen that if you ever come by them, one is a old number seven bottle made before the label. So it's just embossed glass. It's a square bottle, but it's made out of cobalt glass. Oh, wow. So it's kind of blue, you know? Uh, there's oh. an amber glass bottles. These didn't, they, I, you know, I don't know if they ran out of glass and had to substitute or what they did, but <laughs> those are two rare bottles. In 1947, because of uh, the war effort, World War II, um, they did a round bottle that you'll only see in 1947. And Lem Motlow was raising cane about it. He was forced to do it because of the government. And he finally got back into a square bottle. <laughs> For a short term, that um, Jack himself uh, designed the 1904 gold medal bottle. Now we've made a couple of replicas, so you have to be careful. That's not an original, right? <laughs> if you have an original, you'll know it. And I've only seen two in my lifetime, and wow. they have gold leaf on different facets of the glass. Wow, ours did not actually have our replicas. Did not actually have gold leaf. Now, but those replicas actually do still fetch a, a a nice price, though, right? Oh yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So one that you know to me this is kind of fascinating. Mm -hmm. When we were coming out of prohibition, uh, Lem Motlow did a one year old whiskey because he was waiting uh, <laughs> for the whiskey to mature in the barrels, and we were late after prohibition. It took us from thirty three to nineteen thirty eight to change the laws in Tennessee where we could even make whiskey. Wow. And uh, the law got changed in 38. Now, we could make whiskey in t Tennessee in 38. We still couldn't sell it here. So he had to ship everything out of state. Right. But he does a one-year-old whiskey. He's called Lem Motlow. It was around up until the 1990s. It was one-year-old uh, whiskey. Uh, Lem didn't want to ruin the Jack Daniels or, or you know, tarnish the Jack Daniels name. So he didn't use it. He put his own name on it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you could have bought that bottle of whiskey for little or nothing. In 1990, as a gift, uh, they gave a bunch of us some of these bottles because they were going to discontinue it. Well, it was a very low price whiskey. Today, that um, that liter of whiskey is probably a thousand dollars or two. <laughs> Because wow. it's that hard to get. Because it was a very low-priced whiskey, who's going to save the bottle? Sure. Right. That's the most expensive one-year-old product in the world. <laughs> Probably. Uh, and what about, what about you, Nelson? What's your, uh, what, what's your favorite Jack Daniels uh, pour when, you're, when you're, uh, you find yourself, you're at home on a Tuesday night, you need a, you need a, little, uh, a little nip of something, what, what's your go-to? Well, if I'm at home and it's at the end of the day, I'll go to single barrel, barrel select. Um, nice. Uh, years ago, the master distiller uh, then was Jimmy Bedford, took me up into a warehouse and drilled a barrel and we sipped whiskey from a barrel. You know, that's an experience only a master distiller or a master, uh, somebody in the distillery uh, would would know you know mm -hmm. a taster would know that whiskey uh but the public wouldn't have known that whiskey and i thought for years this is so good right at the barrel uh, the barrel it was probably 130 proof um 
but wow, you know, it's so good. Why, why don't we make this product? Well, years and years later, here we are. Yeah. And so single barrel whiskey at barrel proof, and, and it varies. You might have a barrel that's like 127.2 or one that's 130.2. Um, it's the actual, you'll see other products that say cast strength or barrel strength. Right. That's usually code for it's all going to be the same proof. Where this barrel proof, and you can tell by the proof, will change from barrel to barrel and therefore change from bottle to bottle. Yeah. And there's something about that. Uh, some of the, you know, a, a really high proof um, Jack Daniels or, or other uh, whiskeys, the intensity of the flavor is just so great. It's not about like, oh, well, it's high octane, so it's it tastes good. It's all about the flavor intensity that you get at that proof. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, we, we talk about it in terms of proof, but you're absolutely right. And that's why I advocate, you know, that's a drink you want to drink at home, for mm. sure. Not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but it is absolutely delicious. Um, it is kind of, in my mind, the purest expression of Jack Daniels. It's not cut. It's straight from the barrel. The only thing that they do to finish that is there's some char from the barrel that's kind of floating in the whiskey. Well, they filter that char that's just there out. Um, so it is the purest expression of Jack Daniels. And it, I, I find it wonderful. Yeah, I, I think the barrel proof uh, products are amazing. Uh, it's a little early on our record right now, so we can't jump to the barrel proof just yet. But I poured us up some uh, some Jack uh Select some single barrel select. Yeah, so, single barrel select. So, because uh, we were we were out of the Angelo, we ran out of the Angelo, so we got to keep going here. Yeah, yeah. I actually poured a tiny bit more, Larry, but the bottle's with me, so yes, I, I so, get to do that. Since uh, we're recording distantly here, <laughs> and, and if I'm out, you know, I drink Jack Daniels the way Frank Sinatra drinks Jack Daniels, which is I go to old number seven. Um, uh, there's a reason why it's the number sell number one selling whiskey in the world. Um, and I drink it like he does, you know, a couple of fingers of Jack Daniels two, maybe three ice cubes, but you know, Frank Sinatra didn't want to feel like he was going ice skating. You know, he made a good cube. He'd plunk them out of his drink. And if the, the, the waiter said, what's wrong, Mr. Sinatra? And he said, I didn't know we were going skating. That's not <laughs> Um, so just two cubes of ice and maybe a little splash of water. And that's another thing. He didn't want much water. If, if you had a, a, you know, water back right there with the drink, he said, look, I'm, I'm thirsty. I'm not taking a bath. <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought up uh, Frank's method of pouring because, you know, the format of this show is we, we do three, three Frank tracks. And uh, two pours. So two pours. Uh, that's yeah. that's a perfect setup for our next song. Uh, I was going to ask you one last question, uh, Nelson, before we let you go, and that is, uh, what is the best Jack Daniels you've ever had? Uh, the best Jack Daniels I ever had. Um, I would have to say it's probably traveling with Angelo Lucchese. Um, you know, going out on the West Coast with him and. And visiting with, you know, 
his friends, all of them celebrities. Uh, they they knew Angelo, and then they came all came to see him like he was visiting royalty. And uh, so drinking uh, Jack Daniels, and it was old number seven at the time. It was probably the best pour of Jack Daniels I ever had traveling with my friend Angelo. Wow. Fantastic. So great. Well, thank you so much for, for doing this and the stories yeah, and uh, having a drink with us. And it's, it's been a real honor. We really appreciate it. Yeah. This is uh, this has been Nelson Eddy, the uh, Jack Daniels historian. Thank you, Nelson. Appreciate you being here. We're going to leave you and send you off with uh, a great cut, a great rare cut from Frank, the best I ever had. And uh, we'll come back and talk about it after it's over. Uh, thanks again, Nelson. We'll see you later. So long, Nelson. I've tried to break the habit, but somehow I just keep waking up alone. There's something deep inside me that refuses to believe you're really gone. And every night I fall asleep on your side of this great big double bed. Remembering that the worst you ever gave me was the best I ever had. I know I should be sleeping like a kitten in somebody else's arm. But I lie awake remembering all the ways we used to keep each other warm. I know that nothing's perfect, but we came so close, how could it turn out bad? But even so, the worst you ever gave me was the best I ever had. Oh man, such, again, such a tight, tight uh, number there. So, it's so great. Uh, it will not surprise you that uh, that was Billy May's orchestration on the best I ever had. Um, it is... It, it, it was a song written by Daniel and Ruby Heiss, and um, it was the B-side of Stargazer, the single from 1976. Oh, Stargazer. Everybody yes. knows that. Yes. Um, the uh, Neil Diamond song. Um, country singer uh, Farron Young covered this song. He did it very straight as a sad song. But Frank really knew how to do this song and I find the humor I was just cracking up listening to it the the humor is it's just so great the way uh Frank is performing it and he's clearly having so much fun um and you heard the sax solo by uh Sam Butera lots of uh these these harder to find singles are on that uh, reprise collection yeah, they'd the really need to reissue that we talked about earlier. Some sort of best of uh, that. Yeah, um, and, and nice job, by the way, tying uh, your your question um, about the best I ever had, the best Jack that Nelson um, Eddie had ever had, and yeah, um, yeah. I mean, he's he's great, and you know, I loved hearing those those uh, stories. It, it's a great way to end. Um, I think this season. And we've been kind of saving this up for a while. So he, he was great and, uh, and really enjoyed those, that pour, that Angelo pour is really good. It's really good stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. And it, and like he said, it's, uh, it's maybe, uh, 
pretty close to what uh, Frank would have enjoyed back in the 50s since it was at 90 proof back then. I feel it. I feel I feel what Frank felt. I feel, <laughs> I feel everything in that glass that Frank felt. <laughs> but that'll about do it. Um, thank you so much for tuning in this season. Uh, we'll be back uh, in a bit with new episodes. Um, until then, I am Lawrence. Yeah, and I'm Luke, and I think um, Nelson really Thinking hit on something again. when we talked about the friendship uh, between uh, Casey and Sinatra, the other friendships, and the friendship that defines this show is my friendship with you, Larry. So, oh, you're you're super sweet. I appreciate that. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. And wishing that you were here Making the rounds Accepting a round From strangers Being a fool, just hoping that you appear.